Welcome to another episode from the podcast of the Oxford International Centre for Publishing Studies. For World Book Day on the 1st of March 2012, Angus Phillips and Jane Potter were interviewed on BBC Radio Oxford. We would like to thank BBC Radio Oxford for allowing us to include this recording in our podcast episode. We're looking at the history of the book this afternoon because it is World Book Day and from the earliest presses, we were speaking with Paul Nash from the Bodleian, we can now turn our attentions to a book that took the publishing world by storm. In fact, it proved revolutionary, the paperback. Jane Potter from the Oxford International Centre of Publishing Studies is with me now. The Humble Penguin Paperback. Did this really change the publishing world? Yes, I think it did. I think there's the the kind of debate that goes on whether it was evolution or revolution because Lane's idea of a paperback wasn't new. There were paperbacks on the continent, touch in its editions. There were inexpensive, nicely produced editions of the classics, such as Everyman series. But it was Lane that put these things together with the idea of turning book borrowers into book buyers because in the 30s... Um, People really didn't buy books. They borrowed them from libraries, both public and circulating libraries, such as Moody's or Boots, when Boots used to have a library. Um, And the publishing folklore goes that he was returning from a house party at Agatha Christie's at the weekend in Devon and was in Exeter Station looking for something to read at the bookstall and um, could only find cheap periodicals or old Victorian novels and very tatty editions. And he decided that there was a market out there for good new fiction, nicely presented, well formatted um, and attractive um, for the average reader um, that wouldn't normally purchase books. Now, who was this this Lane, Alan Lane? Alan Lane was the... um, Um, one of the directors of the Bodley Head, Um, and so he was working for the Bodley Head at the time, um, and came not really from a publishing background, but was adopted by um, um, an uncle um, and brought into the trade. Um, And he had these various ideas about how to democratise reading, but he was also a very good marketing person. He very much had his eye on the commercial aspects of this uh, venture. Now, was it smiled upon, this uh, concept he came up with, this eureka moment on a railway station, or did the publishing greats think that it was a case of dumbing down, for want of better expression? Uh, there was quite a bit of debate at the time. The directors of the Bodley Head said he pretty much had to finance it on his own, and eventually he does start his own company after the first ten Penguins are published in 1935. Um, and there was debate in the Times Literary Supplement, in the bookseller, from various publishers and writers Um, about the way this would ruin the trade, the trade for hardbacks, um, dumbing down, absolutely. Um, People like Stanley Unwin, uh, Victor Galantz weren't very happy with it. Um, But other writers such as J.B. Priestley saw this as a great way of democratising reading, of giving more access to new fiction, good literature... Um, to the masses for a price of a pack of cigarettes. It all sounds very familiar to the current attitudes towards e-readers, doesn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, absolutely. Publishing history and book history is full of these kinds of examples of, of um, new inventions, technological changes or societal changes that worry the industry. Um, but the industry somehow manages to adapt um, to different changes to, new age, to the new age.
Now, for many people, the penguin uh, paperback is, is symbolised by that uh, very distinct orange cover. Um, and I know there are other colours which colour code different areas and different genres of printing. So we'll talk a little bit more about how it has become such an iconic piece of literature for us here in the UK and the role the penguin paperback played during the Second World War. So more from Jane in just a moment or two. Keep your texts coming through, your calls as well. I want to know what it is you're reading at the moment as we celebrate. World Book Day. This afternoon we've been exploring the earliest printing presses. We're now looking at uh, the humble paperback with Jane Potter from the Oxford International Centre of Publishing Studies. The Penguin Paperback. Ten titles um, initially uh, it put in, right. into print. Thousands now. I mean, yes. we, we could spend the rest of the week trying to, to work out how many titles exactly. Uh, what sort of impact did those initial ten have and, and how were they marketed by Alan Lane? Um, well, the impact was huge, although the sort of um, myth that they took off immediately that it was, it was quite an easy thing to get booksellers to take them wasn't, um, wasn't actually true. Um, both Lane and his brothers um, went around the country trying to convince booksellers to stock the titles and in the vast numbers that they needed to in order to justify the price. And they uh, got fairly short shrift from them. And the pub another publishing bit of folklore is that it was when Lane was speaking to Mr. Clifford at uh, Woolworths, who was the haberdashery, uh, buyer. Um, he was sitting in his office a few weeks before publication, really worrying that these were going to flop and um, trying to convince him to take the books. And uh, Mrs. Clifford walked in um, waiting to go to lunch and said, oh, I recognize those titles. We should take those. And of course, it was also said that she quite found Lane quite attractive, this young, dashing young publisher. So that was the story. And Clifford then takes them on and it goes from there. And, and the whole idea that they were stocked in non-traditional outlets, outlets where people would, you know, normal people, not people who were intimidated by bookshops, um, would go. Uh, she she sort of struck on the, or, or legend has it, she struck on the uh, recognisability of the titles, but the, title. the actual book itself has become an icon in design, hasn't it? Absolutely. The sort of block design, which for the time was very striking, very 1930s, very clean lines, um, orange for fiction, blue for biography, um, green for detective fiction. Um, so they really stood out. And the idea was that people would collect them. And, and in fact, they did. So the idea that um, only sort of very um, elite produced expensive editions would be collected by people and these would simply be throwaway actually wasn't the case because you have had people collecting them and saving them. Um, since they were published. And the penguin was actually a penguin that had been sketched at London Zoo? Yes, that's right. He sent one of his clerks, Edward Young, um, to London Zoo to uh, sketch the penguins and he came back with the various designs and that became the iconic logo. Now, through the Second World War, these became an invaluable piece of kit for many yes, soldiers. they did. Well, because they were such, a, they were the right size to fit in a pocket or a knapsack. Um, they were portable. Um, and, of course, there was this sort of cultural significance that people had with them. Um, but Penguin also benefited greatly from the Second World War in many ways because their paper ration was bigger than any other publisher at the time because the ration for the beginning of the war was based on the last 12 months before the war, so the previous 1938 to 39. So Penguin had the biggest ration. It also did government work, which meant it had a extra paper ration. But Lane himself was not just commercially minded. He was very committed um, to, to the war effort, to um, supporting um, the troops, providing material um, 
for the, the fighting forces, really. Jane Potter's been explaining to us the role of the paperback through history and the uh, change to the face of publishing that it brought with it. Angus Phillips joins us now, director of the Oxford International Centre of Publishing Studies, to look at another revolution that's taking place right now, and that is the e-reader, isn't it? Yes, we're very much seeing a similar revolution now to the 30s and the paperback. Um, sales of e-books in the UK doubled last year. If we just look at last Christmas, uh, nearly a million e-readers like Kindles were given as gifts and about half a million iPads, so you can read books on either of those devices now. And if Alan Lane was at his station today, he'd be able to download an e-book straight onto his uh, Kindle or his iPad and be able to take a uh, book on the train with him. And similar to the Penny Dreadfuls, we now have e-books priced at 99p, which anyone can download anywhere in the world. So uh, amazing transformation at the moment. I think for a lot of people that the e-book sort of scene is a little bit confusing because back in the day when it was a book or a book you maybe had the, the choice between hardback and paperback but you know you were mentioning different brand names of these different companies and different uh, technologies that are all jumping on something that they obviously think has got legs yeah, and it's really interesting how the big technology companies like Amazon, Google have all got interested in the book market. And, uh, I mean, you can read on all sorts of devices now. You can read on your phone, you can read your books on your phone, on your iPad, or on a dedicated device like the Kindle. And if you get the train to London now, you see so many people reading on these devices now. It's a, it's a real sea change. So what are the advantages of this sea change? Um, I think for people who are travelling, commuting or going on holiday, the advantage to be able to take lots of books with you on a device which almost you can sort of slip in your bag so easily now is really good. Um, so the choice that's available is amazing. And uh, when we started out with e-book readers, what was interesting was the initial market people discovered was amongst older people because you can change the type size so easily and uh, it's very easy to change it to a size that suits you. Um, in terms of readability, um, the devices have come a long way. They're very comfortable to hold and to read now. And are there any downsides? Um, I to think the publishing the, industry, say? Um, I mean, the, the jury's still out at the moment. Definitely f the sales of physical books are down, and they were down last year. But at the same time, sales of e-books are rising very fast. We think they doubled last year in the UK. So it's a, it's a land of opportunity, as well as um, the downsides in terms of fewer sales of physical books. But I think we all see the advantages still of having a physical book, um, something you can give at Christmas as a gift. Um, They're I mean, just lovely. They don't need yeah. any more reason than that, do they? And about 40% of book sales are, are gifts given at Christmas, so that market will still be there, I think. Are there any genres that have proven to be early front runners for Yeah, I mean, that's users. really interesting because we uh, 10 years ago, we probably said no one is ever going to sit reading a novel on the beach on an on a e-reading device. And in fact, it's fiction that's taken off the most. And there are genres like romance, crime, which are doing really well, selling really well. And I think those are the kind of books where you probably might not return to them again for some time. Um, and so... There's some evidence from the States that people are actually reading more um, as a result of having some of these e-reading devices. And in fact, uh, we were just talking about this uh, earlier, weren't we, Jane, about some of the maybe less serious advantages of reading something as anonymous-looking to the outside world as a Kindle. Yes, that you could be... You wouldn't might want, not want to be seen reading a Mills and Boone on the train or um, when Lady Chatterley was allowed to be published in the 1960s, there's pictures of people hiding them sort of in newspapers... And 
and things. Um, and so there's a, a much more of a kind of privacy about what it is that you're reading. Yeah, it's no good for me, though, because I'm somebody on holiday who loves looking around the exactly. pool or on the yes, plane and seeing exactly <laughs> who's got the same taste yeah. as me, who's reading what I'm reading, and if there's anything out there that maybe I should be reading. And I quite like the covers of books. I like the physical book, and I like seeing them there. And yeah. I think just you can think of classic album covers. I mean, mm. uh, I brought along Louis de Bernier's Captain Corelli's Mandolin, and that's an example of a classic book cover mm. that um, has been much imitated over the years, and people can remember that cover. Um, so, yeah, I think in there, there are still advantages to the physical book and be able to see the cover in a way you can't do. But maybe uh, the, the advent of the e-reader will make us appreciate the artwork mm. of books and what the complete package actually held instead of being, uh, you know, almost taking the, the entire book for granted. Yeah, and I think publishers are returning to those values of trying to make the physical book really attractive and something really nice to hold um, and making sure the typography is really nice and the design is really nice inside and out. They're special whichever form they come in. Before I let both of you go, though, I do need to add to my list of books. Uh, this is going to be a heck of a holiday if I I try and work my way through this entire recommendation <laughs> list by four o'clock this afternoon. Jane, what are you reading? I'm reading, um, well, I have a couple things that I usually have on the go, but at the moment I'm reading um, The Interpretation of Murder by Michael Cox, which is a, a Victorian sort of murder mystery, which is brilliant, and um, The Three Emperors by Miranda Carter, which is about um, um, King George uh, V and um, um, Nicholas Tsar Nicholas and um, Kaiser Wilhelm and, and the run-up to the First World War. And these are in traditional book form? They are. Angus, how about you? What are you reading? Uh, well, Jane's allowed two books, so I'm going to mention <laughs> um, I'm reading a book about the battle for Moscow in the Second World War by Andrew Nagorski. I'll be no good on Desert Island Disc. I'll be like, pack a trunk, <laughs> bring it on. But I just want to get a quick word in for um, our bid, Oxford's bid to become World Book Capital in 2014. Mm. And in April, when we launch the bid, I will be out in the centre of Oxford giving away free copies of Joe Simpson's Touching the Void, Ooh. which is an amazingly good book about uh, mountaineering in South America which everybody must read. Yeah, I've seen the film, I haven't read the book but I, the that book is on is my amazing. list. Well I'm adding it to the list right now. Angus and Jane, thank you very much for coming in and we're going to continue taking calls, taking texts, find out what Oxford is reading today for World Book Day. Enjoy the rest of your day and thank you very much. <laughs>